A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Every day is wretched for those who are sorry, but to one who is cheerful, every day is a perpetual feast. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Good news makes for good health. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan. I'm on staff here at the church. And uh, I want to talk to you about a New York Times article that I read called A Nation on Hold Wants to Speak with a Manager. And journalist Sarah Leal writes about how, and this is just the subtitle for the article, in our anger-filled age when people need to shop or travel or cope with mild disappointment, they're devolving into children. And uh, she outlines a study that wanted to research why those who work in customer service, people who actually work with customers, are by and large unhappier, less happier, than people who don't have to work with customers. And you probably don't need a lot of research to know why, but they went ahead and did the research anyway. Leal tells stories in the article from grocery store employees and credit card customer service representatives who speak of customers devolving into children. And in case you think it's exaggerated, they talk about them throwing things in the store Hurling insults, screaming at people. One employee even asked Leal, have you ever seen a man in his 60s have a full temper tantrum uh, because we did not have the expensive imported cheese that he wanted? And you don't have to work in customer service to know why this happened. People seem to be more irritable, more easily angered than in recent memory. Leal explains maybe why this might be. In part, the problem is the disconnect between expectation and reality. This is what Melissa Swift, a U.S. transformation leader at the consulting firm Mercer, says. She says, before the pandemic, uh, consumers had been seduced into the idea of a frictionless economy. That, the notion that you could get whatever you wanted the moment you wanted it. I want you to hold on to that idea because that's really critical to what we're going to be talking about today. The idea of a frictionless world where I get what I want in the moment that I want it. And we all remember when the pandemic happened and there were shortages of things and how everyone started having that. We started then talking about production shortages on things and people start losing their minds. She says, there's a lack of outlets for people's anger. That waiter, that flight attendant, they become a stand-in for everything that is coming between what we experience and what we think we are entitled to. Which, once again, what do we think we're entitled to? To get what I want in the moment I want it. A frictionless world. And so whether you have had homicidal rage towards a credit card representative who finally told you that on failing to answer your third security question, you have been locked out of your account or whether you've just thrown a temper tantrum once or two in the middle of a store, all of us think, and this is what kind of goes to everything, the reason I'm so irritable, the reason I'm so frustrated all the time, is everyone else. 
The problem is outside of me. But maybe we need to all just for a moment hear the prophetic words from a different Miss Swift who said, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. In case you don't know, these are lyrics to the very popular Taylor Swift song, Antihero. Uh, and the singer begins the song by explaining, I have this thing where I get older, but just never wiser. Now, I can tell you, this is basically the premise of the entire series we're doing right now. The entire idea of this is, you know, common sense says the older you get, the wiser you get. But what many of us know is some of us just grow old and we never grow up. You get older, you don't get wiser. You keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. You keep saying those same things again and again and again you have to apologize for. You're in the same arguments every day over and over again. You don't grow up, you just grow old. And it just gets kind of set in stone. And then we even hold it up as a good thing. Is you know, I'm still young at heart. I'm still a kid in my mind and in your diet. You lost your temper when the chicky nuggies weren't ready. You eat the same things you did when you were a kid. You spend money the same way. You grow old. You just didn't grow up. You just didn't work that way. But the wisdom writings of the Proverbs is this idea of how can we get wisdom for life so I don't have to, as the singer laments, I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices, and I end up in crisis. And at this point, you're probably wondering, is he just going to go through this song line by line? Pretty much. <laughs> That's what you came for today. This is the spoken word reading of the Taylor Swift concert tonight. Uh, but I'm going to save you $2,000. Um, but the point Miss Swift gets to by the chorus of this song is that it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. And don't those words, I mean, if someone would just say that in the midst of a conflict, in the midst of our chaotic world, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Isn't that the balm that our world needs someone besides you to have to say? I mean, you don't have to say it. But if everyone else could say it, if everyone else could just admit, I'm the problem, it's me, everything would just get better. I mean... You should know, this is why we sing this song at our house. Someone after the last service was like, I'm so glad that you talked about Taylor Swift in the sermon on Sunday. And I said, what's funny enough is I got a friend in the back of the room last service who's laughing because they know I don't like Taylor Swift that much. <laughs> Beyonce did have one of the best music videos of all time. But the bigger deal is this. <laughs> I sing this song all the time at my house to my kids. So what ends up happening is, uh, one of my girls, they'll lose their temper at one of their sisters or they'll hit one of their sisters and those inevitable words come out, right? It's not my fault. She started it. And then they know if daddy's home, he's coming around the corner going, ah, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Oh, great. They know they can't even say, you make me so angry because I'm going to say, when did you become so weak that someone else got to make you feel something? Who makes you angry? You make you angry. They didn't make you angry. You make you angry. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. And we know we want this to be said in our world. Imagine if politicians went on the campaign trail and instead of saying it's the Republicans, it's the Democrats, they got up and say, hi, I'm Senator so-and-so, and it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Might change some stuff, right? Imagine your boss. Every time they're in a bad mood, they just unload work on you and anger on you and they blame everything on you. Instead, they came back and said, I'm sorry for that. You can take the rest of the day off. I don't know why all that was a problem. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. And 
I'm not saying you ever need to say these words, because you probably don't. But in case you might ever come across a situation you might do, we're going to practice saying these words, all right? So you're going to say this with me. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Are we ready, everyone? It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Hurts so good. (laughs) Say it again. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. So what's the real reason you ate all that food last night? Is it because you had a hard week and you deserved it? Or say it with me, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. The reason you were late to to church this morning, that was the kids. That was the alarm clock. That was the rain. No, say it with me. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. The reason Taylor Swift will sue our church after today, it is not because she's overly litigious. (laughs) Say it with me. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Here's a good one. Why do you lose your temper so much? You don't have to say that. Why is it that you demonize the other political party and everyone who's in it to the point that they're not just stupid, they're evil? They're destroying our country. What's the real reason behind that? What's the real reason you don't tip well? Is it the customer service? What's the real reason no one ever lives up to your expectations? What's the real reason you don't speak to that person anymore? What's the real reason you're always in the midst of drama and chaos? I don't know if you've ever noticed, the people who are always in the midst of drama and chaos are the only people who ever say, I hate drama. (laughs) What's the real reason? What's the real reason people keep saying you're so harsh and critical? What's the real reason why you're so irritable and easily offended all the time? Whose fault is that? See, that's a tougher question, one we don't want to answer, and now you wish I'd go back and just do that Taylor Swift song line by line. We don't want to have to deal with it. I think there's this general human tendency to think the reason I'm so unhappy, the reason that I'm always in conflict, the reason I'm always in a bad mood, The reason everyone else always lets me down, the reason I lost my mind in that supermarket, it's not my fault. It's just me responding to what's going on in the world. And so when we hear our scripture reading for today that says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, we think, well, yeah, I could be cheerful too if I had a better job, if people treated me with more respect, if I had been born with a better body. A lot of our irritability in life comes from this idea, and it is false. It is a myth that life should be frictionless. That life should be easy. Life should be comfortable. Life should be pleasurable. It shouldn't have to be this hard. Life shouldn't have this many troubles. And so what we think when we hear, oh, they're teaching about wisdom at the church, you want to be a part of that because what you think is, I want the life hack. I want the tips and the tricks to make sure I spend my money the right way or I treat my marriage the right way so that everything is frictionless. There's no problems. And so we start kind of fantasizing in our mind about the job that's not only enjoyable but makes me feel important and that provides me with enough money that I don't ever even have to think about what I spent. Or we dream about retiring early and I'm going to live a carefree life. We think a good marriage is one where no one ever disappoints anybody. No one's ever in conflict. No one's ever upset with anybody. It's frictionless. And we think it's the kind of life, well, that's what leads to a cheerful heart. We end up thinking, well, the people who are cheerful, they just got blessed with that kind of life. 
They just got blessed with those kind of circumstances. Maybe you even think it's a personality thing that they got and somehow you didn't. That they just figured out how to be cheerful. They got a good life. As if a cheerful heart is something that happens to us. And that's what I want wisdom for. Is I want to figure out how to manipulate my relationships and my circumstances in such a way that I could be happy because things are just easy. I get what I want in the moment I want it. And then you have kids. I get what I want in the moment I want it. And we think this is what it is. But what we see when we look out throughout the Bible, especially in the book of Proverbs, is that life with God, life in his wisdom, what Jesus called life in the kingdom, it is not as much about what happens to you. It is what happens within you. And what that leads you to become and to do for other people. And so if I'm not cheerful, the problem is not poor customer service. My biggest problem is not my spouse. I'm going to repeat that again. Your biggest problem is not your spouse. Your biggest problem is not that you're underpaid or that you're underappreciated. Your biggest problem is not the economy. It's not the president. It's not that you can't get your kids to do what they should do. What is the problem? You already know it. You can say it with me. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah, you are. Now, being cheerful is not about ignoring reality or the difficult emotions in our life. Emotions are part of what it means to be human. Feelings are gifts from God to tell us what's going on within us or around us. Fear is an appropriate reaction to danger or insecurity. Sadness is the appropriate reaction to tragedy or hurt or disappointment. Anger is the right response to being mistreated or to seeing injustice in our world. So cultivating cheerfulness doesn't mean I ignore reality. There may be problems in my marriage or my relationships that need to be addressed. There may be people at work that need to be held accountable. Bad or harmful or abusive behavior must be confronted. Systematic injustice must be fixed. But we don't do so from a place of anger or irritability or fear. Love must be our motivation, and love is so much stronger than anger. As psychologist Paul Ekman argued, Anger has a place in activism, but anger is not sustainable. Anger burns too hot for a lifetime. Anger may be the fuel we need to move towards injustice, but if anger is never replaced with compassion and mercy and love, anger will burn us up and everyone around us. It's like putting jet fuel in a gas grill. The wisdom of our world may say, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. But the wise Christ follower is one who can feel all of their emotions, see the problems in the world around them, but still choose to be cheerful. Because cheerfulness is not an emotion, it's a mood. A mood is a predisposition to feel a certain emotion. Moods are cultivated by our attitudes and our thoughts and actions. Emotions are reactions to the world around us or our inner life. Attitudes are about how we perceive and choose to respond to the world. This is why the writer of Proverbs also says, every day is wretched for those who are sorrowing, but to the one who is cheerful, every day is a perpetual feast. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message translation, a miserable heart means a miserable life. A cheerful heart fills the day with song. You see, irritability, cynicism, pessimism, these are also moods. We all know that person who is the living embodiment of Eeyore. Everything's too hard. Life's so unfair. Everything bad happens to them. Every silver lining has a cloud. If 
you don't know who that person is, it might be you. And often we see this as a personality trait or it's just a natural reaction beyond our control. But human beings are not animals controlled by our instincts. If you poke a dog with a stick, it'll snap at you. But God has given us the ability to control what we set our minds upon, and it's a gift. We can be poked and we don't have to snap. You see, you and I think of not losing our temper in a moment of frustration as something that takes Herculean effort to overcome. But frustration isn't the problem, irritability is. Irritability is a choice to view the world through the eyes of cynicism and resentment. Irritability is not born in the moment you're frustrated, but in every moment leading up to your frustration. It's all the bitterness we've been feeding ourselves. It's the busyness and hurry and stress of our day that keeps us focused on our to-do list over the people around us. It's the anxious thoughts that keep us on edge, so our nerves explode at the slightest irritation. We too easily give control of our thinking over to our circumstances and our momentary emotions. We allow the exhaustion of our day or unfair situation or our annoyance at another person to rule our thoughts. And if we savor that anger long enough, it becomes our general mood and attitude toward life and toward people. It's the lens that we view everyone through. Before you know it, I'm an irritable person. But the greatest and most important freedom in your life is the ability to decide what you will focus your thinking on. The Apostle Paul once wrote to a group of Jesus followers in the ancient Roman city of Philippi, and he told them, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It's as if he's saying, you need to nail your thoughts down. You need to staple good and beautiful and wonderful thoughts to every corner of your mind. And a person who chooses to control the thoughts in their minds, to fix true and honorable thoughts to their minds, they are able to live with a different kind of mood. They're cheerful and they enjoy life and the people in their life as a gift given by a good and loving father. So how do we go about cultivating a cheerful heart in an age that just seems like we are destined to be outraged and irritable all the time. Well, I think it begins by admitting the problem is me. There is something about each of us that really enjoys being outraged. We really, really enjoy it. Pastor and author Frederick Beekner writes about it in this way. He says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations that are still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain that you've been given and the pain that you could give back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. If we're honest, many of us love to snack throughout the day, on things that lead us to be irritable. We love to hold on to a record of wrongs that other people have done to us. They treated us unfair. They've disappointed us. They've not lived up to our expectations in some way. Or we even just hold on to these little small things that irritate us, and we just build them up and build them up, and we think about how just difficult everything is. And there's even an enjoyable 
feeling of superiority that comes about when I'm morally outraged at another person. I get to look at their moral failure and say, at least I'm not them. Thank God I'm not as bad as they are. Others of us love to wallow in self-pity. Some of you have PhDs in pouting. You love to pout. You are so skilled at telling the story of your pain to others and it increases your feelings of victimhood and it increases your moral outrage at others. And so what we all need to do is we need to figure out what are the thoughts, what are the inputs that are leading me to be so irritated all the time and then remove them. And I want to be clear, your chief irritant is most likely not another person. Some of you have been very excited when I've been talking. You got your phone out. You started writing a text. Jesus told me you're my irritant. Bye-bye. You've been ready to cut that person out. But see, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Your chief enemy is not another person. Now, I'm not saying there aren't boundaries you have to set with people. I'm not saying there are behaviors that you just have to put up with. But what I am saying is you have to start with yourself. So what feeds the thoughts in your mind? What is the running soundtrack that is in your mind at all times. Is it Fox News? Is it CNN? Are you being fed fearful thoughts all the time of the people who are coming to get you? Maybe it's angry thoughts about the idiots that you disagree with politically. Is that leading you to good thoughts? Pure thoughts? Loving and honorable thoughts? And if not, you got to cut it out. Maybe you need to get off social media. Maybe the constant scrolling of seeing people who are happier than you and their families are happier than you and they're going on better vacations than you and they're losing more weight than you and they're doing better than you, maybe that comparison's not very healthy for you. Maybe it's even making you pretty judgmental towards others as you look at the things they do and you say, well, I'd never do that. Maybe it's making you pretty critical of other people as you judge their life choices. Maybe it's not even an external input. Maybe you need to stop playing arguments in your head over and over again. There's that person that you go, if I could just say this, then they would just fall on their knees and they would tell me how sorry they are. And don't you ever notice in your arguments with that person, they're an idiot in your head? And you're so good, you always know exactly what to say to shut them up. Maybe you need to stop. Maybe you need to work on forgiving somebody, letting go of something that happened in the past. Maybe it's just letting go of the expectations that you hold for the life you thought you would have or the family you thought you would have, the career you thought you would have, and it's not happening and you just think about it every day. It's just not going how I thought it was supposed to go. Maybe you need to let go of it. We must choose to stop feasting on these things that are leading us to be irritable. And I want to give us a moment to pause and talk to God about what it is that we're feasting on. And so I've invited Ed to lead us through a time of prayer on this. As Nathan has said, one of the things that makes it really difficult in our world is that most of us have bought into the idea that for my life to be the way I want it to be, for me to be truly happy, I just need to get the circumstances and the relationships in my life to be exactly the way I want them to be. And if I could get everything arranged in the way I'd want it to be, then I'd be happy, I'd be cheerful. And a lot of your unhappiness, a lot of your anger, it's just frustrated and difficulty that 
you can't manipulate things in the right way, that you can't get them to do the right things in the right way. And the problem is really your expectations that this world should be frictionless, that there should be no friction between you and a happy life. But for the people in this room who are followers of Christ, a part of what that means is we believe that Jesus is right about everything. Jesus said this to you and me. These are his words. He said to us, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, all y'all gonna have trouble. That's the expectation that Jesus has for us. But he says, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But he does not say, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world so you won't ever have to have trouble. A cheerful life is not about getting everything to flow the way you want it to. The family you dreamed of, the life you wanted, the relationships you wanted. A cheerful life comes from trusting that Jesus is right and that he can give you joy in the midst of your trouble. So, we want to pause in this service and take a moment and to be honest with God and ourselves about what is it that's feeding our irritability. Some of you in this room this week have had circumstances happen or relationships gotten off track or something's gone away and you're just convinced that's exactly what's making you be so anxious and so unhappy right now. The expectation you had, the disappointment you now feel, and I'm not saying those situations aren't bad. I'm saying will you bring to God the expectation you have that it should never happen, that you should never have trouble. And would you confess that to God? So I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to talk to God about this expectation that you have for this world. Let's take that right now and you talk to God. Now, with that expectation or disappointment held between you and God, again, it's not about ignoring the problem, but it's choosing to give up your right to force the circumstances or to make the other person go away. Would you ask God, God, heal my hurt, heal my disappointment, meet me in this need. Would you give me your heart of comfort and joy? And if you don't think you can honestly say that to God, you don't have to fake it. Would you just ask God to help you trust him so that you can follow his way? Again, I'm going to give you just a few seconds to talk to him, and then I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, there's a whole lot of us in this room 
And there has to be some that are right in the midst of some really difficult circumstances and relationships. All of us at some point have had disappointments and we've just lost it. I ask you to heal our hearts and help us to fix our thoughts on you. You promise us that your love will cast out all fear and your love will lead us to joy unspeakable and a peace that is unexplainable to the world. May that peace and joy be ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the goal is not just to stop feasting on irritability. The goal is not to not be irritable. The goal is to be able to feast on joy. To be able to feast on delight. The writer of Proverbs says that the cheerful heart has a continual feast. That the cheerful person, the wise person, is the person who has set the programming of their mind in such a way that in any given moment, in any moment of difficulty, they have a buffet of good and pleasing and honorable and beautiful things to fix their mind upon. They're not having to go look for it. It's already there waiting for them. That makes me think of this story of my daughter, Heaven. Uh, this is heaven, and uh, she uh, actually got baptized in the last service. So we're very excited about that. And, uh, you know, there's a proverb. Proverbs 15 has uh, this line that says, A cheerful look gives joy to the heart. And it's about the looks you give to others brings joy. If that smile don't make you want to smile, there's something broken in you. This young woman is just a bundle of joy and cheerfulness. It just bubbles out of her at all times. There's so much just excitement about life that comes out of her. It becomes infectious to everyone else. And I remember very early on uh, when she moved into our home, we had made uh, all of our children uh, buttermilk uh, pancakes for breakfast. It became a little Saturday morning tradition for us. And so we're all sitting at the table and uh, we're talking and we're eating. And I notice heaven's being quiet and I kind of look over to her. And she is taking the tiniest nibbles, like just microscopic nibbles out of this buttermilk pancake. And she has this huge grin stretched across her face. And her eyes are closed in like pure ecstasy as she's eating them. And she just slowly opens her eyes and goes, Daddy, is this called enjoying it was like for the first time in her life, she understood the concept of what it is to enjoy things. She was feasting on enjoyment. She wasn't feasting on the pancakes. She was feasting on the joy that comes from getting to eat pancakes. And so I just said to her, sweetie, your whole life is called enjoying. She loves to enjoy things. And it has been a blessing to me to learn from my daughter what it means to enjoy things, the simple art of enjoying, because... I have another daughter, and I won't name her. She does not like to enjoy things. She gets that from her daddy. She enjoys being petty, like I enjoy being petty. I told her the other day, we were walking somewhere. I said, sweetie, I know you're in a grumpy mood right now, and you're being petty. I want you to know 100% daddy will out-petty you every day. <laughs> and so we started working on this together, right? Being petty is when you take a small thing. No matter how good your day is, there's just this little frustration, this little bitterness, this little disappointment, and you blow it up and you stretch it up so big that it feels so cosmically unfair you could live inside of it no matter how good the day is. And you just blow it up and you live within that. And so 
we started working on this together and we came up with a term that I'll share to you that I think will be helpful for all of us who are petty like me. The words are positive petty. Because see, it's possible to be positive petty. To take a tiny thing that is good and beautiful and to blow it up and stretch it out no matter how difficult your day is or troubling your day is. You could blow it up and you could stretch it out to be the most beautiful and wonderful thing that you could live inside of it and it would draw you to praise and to give thanks to God. So laughing with your friends or someone letting you go first in line or a kind word someone said to you or a song that you love to sing. You take those small things and you blow them up so big and you live inside of them and you praise God and say, how good must God be if he thought up a person as good as this? Or he thought up a song as good as this? Or he thought up the idea of buttermilk pancakes? How good must God be? You blow it up and you give thanks. You say, thank God for his many blessings. It's being positive, petty. But this does not happen by accident. It takes the intentional choice to not allow your mindless thoughts to wander around to irritability. See, most of us think the problem is we have too many thoughts in our head. That's not true. You don't have enough. You're not taking control. You've allowed, I need to just zone out and not think about anything, and your mind wanders to that thing you're worried about tomorrow or the thing you didn't get done today, or the thing you're frustrated about, or that little bit of hurt or disappointment, that thing that didn't go the way you want, and you've allowed your mind to wander there, and then you blow it up and you live inside of it. But you could choose. You could choose to fix your thoughts on what is good and pure and beautiful, true and admirable and holy and worthy of praise, and instead of feasting on all the little things that irritate you. You could feast on thoughts that lead to gratitude and praise and being centered in God because He is the source of all joy in life. You may have never thought about God this way, but God is the most delighted being in all existence. God enjoys this life. And He enjoys you. That God is full of joy. He outdelights my daughter every day. He has the spirit of a young child being thrown up in the air over and over again, laughing and giggling, and every time saying, Do it one more time. But God is just full of delight, and his delight is fixated on you. He delights in you. He is never ending delight. And so all of our delight, it comes from him. And so we need to cultivate a pattern of life that centers our hearts in the delight of God. For the past few years, I've had this morning prayer call with other people, and we begin that time of prayer as we have now for multiple years. We start with silence. We just fix our thoughts on God. Before we get to the busyness of our day, as you know, often we'll share prayer requests at the beginning, and we're worried about something that's coming up, or we're hurt about something that happened yesterday, but we say, no, we're going to be in this present moment and we are going to delight in God's delight over us. My delight comes from the fact that God is delighting in me and I'm perfectly safe where I am. So you take just a moment and you rest. And then we sing songs of praise together every morning before my voice has even woken up. We're up and we're singing. And we're singing songs that lead us to give thanks to God. 
to praise him for he is good. Before we get into anything else going on, I want to center myself in him. And then we read a psalm every day that leads us in prayer. We try to rephrase these words of the psalms back to God. As I like to say often, we use his own words against him. We're going just taking God's words and we're going to say them right back to him. Whatever it is. If it begins the day with, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and I'm going to take all the things I'm thankful for and I'm going to blow them up so big that for five minutes I could just live inside of them. Or to tell of all his wonderful deeds. I'm in the midst of a heartbreaking circumstance. You're in the midst of something difficult. So you choose to remember the last time you were in something difficult. The last time that you were heartbroken. And you remember how God brought you through that and you remind yourself, you blow it up so big that you're living in that moment where God is right there, or as other psalms call for us, to cast our cares onto God. So sometimes I am just angry. Sometimes I am just sad. And sometimes I am just frustrated. And I need to just meet God in the midst of that emotion. To remind myself that even in my brokenness, I am loved and God delights in me even when I'm angry at Him. Even when I'm mad at Him, God delights in me. Or to confess our sins. Often the Psalms lead us to confess our sins. And I may be frustrated with another person. I may be frustrated with something in my life. I might be frustrated at God. And then I'm reminded to confess my sins. And I say, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. And I remember that just as God has had mercy for me, so am I to have mercy for everyone else. And that even though this life is not easy or always pleasurable, I'm called, I can choose to center my thoughts in giving thanks, crying out to God, because God is always present with me. And as my favorite psalm in the Bible says, Psalm 1611 says, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Which means any solution I think that will make me happy, that takes me out of his presence, I have to say, hey God, if you'll turn away for a moment so I can fix this situation, fix this person so it'll be happy, whatever solution I come up with will be less than the fullness of joy. And even if I have to sit in this difficult moment, even if I have to sit in this heartbreak, there is fullness of joy because that's where God is. And I'm just reminded, in his presence there's fullness of joy. And then we share moments of community together and we pray for one another and we share joy with one another and we're reminded that life is best lived together. It's one of the greatest gifts God has given us. More than almost any practice in my life, this has transformed the experience of my life. I began this morning prayer time because I had gone to a counselor in a moment of deep pain in my life. And he said to me, you know, you're depressed. And I said, no, I'm not. And he goes, well, this paper says you are. (laughs) He says, you're full of anxious thoughts, and you didn't know. And he gave me some practical things I could do, but he was a believer, and he told me, you got to go to God with every one of these thoughts and every one of these feelings. So about five years ago, I started just this morning prayer time. And God has met me there, and he has taught me how to fix my thoughts on him, that I could begin my day by delighting in the Father's delight in me. I didn't know that God actually liked me. I thought he loved me because he had to. But he is fond of me. He delights in me. He likes me. It's transformed my experience of life. And you should know you can join me in this prayer. We started broadcasting this morning prayer time about uh, two years ago. Every morning on Facebook, Monday through Friday at 6.30 in the morning. 
But that may not be what you need to feast on gratitude. That may not be what you need to fix your thoughts on praise for God. But you do need something. It will not happen by accident. And neither did your irritability. You think it did. You think it just was a random chance that you're in a bad mood or that you're always in conflict again and again. It was not an accident. You fixed your thoughts on something or you made the choice not to choose and your mind is just racing around wherever it wants to go or, as we believe, wherever the enemy wants it to go. But you could choose. You need a plan. You need other people. And we say this all the time, we want to be your people. We want you to take a next step with God, but also with others. We have this next steps class that will kind of walk you through what does it mean to live life in community with God and others. And you're not committing to anything by going to the class. You're investigating what could this look like for me in my life where we can help you see what other people have done to get plugged into life with God and others, and it has transformed their life as well. But you don't just need this for you. Remember what I said earlier, the Proverbs say, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. That means when you become cheerful, it brings cheerfulness to others. When you become a person who's deeply rooted in joy and gratitude, you become a blessing to others. You are not constantly tossed about like waves on an ocean. You can be deeply rooted in the current that is underneath all of that. This world does not need more people who vote the right way. This world does not need more people who believe the right things and have the right ideas about things and then can prove their rightness to others. This world needs more people who are deeply rooted in the life of Jesus, that he and his spirit would live fully through them, that they would become people of delight and gratitude and praise, and they would generously give it to others. Your neighbors need this. Your co-workers need this. If you are a parent, your children need need this from you. So what are you going to do? How are you going to become a person who's so infused with the joy and cheerfulness and delight of God that it bubbles over and infects everyone around you? People who know that this life is a gift. The past week or so, I have been with some people on two ends of a different spectrum. One group of people who are mourning the loss of someone they love dearly who just took their last breath. And another person who just gave birth. And when you're in those two moments, you know what you know. This life is a gift. You did nothing to earn taking a breath on this planet. And no matter how hard you try, you can't make yourself take another one. It is a gift. And if it's a gift, that means it's meant to be enjoyed. And so are the people who are around you. They are a gift. They are not a burden. They are not a pawn to be manipulated for your means. They are meant to be loved and enjoyed. And the person, the one who gives to us is good and loving and kind. And we can live delighted in his delight for us. So let's go and share that delight with others. Right now, we're going to give thanks to God for our greatest gift, Jesus. And Ed's going to lead us in that time.